Political Science Report. My name is John Murphy, and I am your host. Each week, I bring you in-depth analysis on some of the latest and greatest political science research. I do have a Twitter for the podcast called Political Science Report, or at PolySciReport. It's, again, a great place to follow and connect with active researchers in all different fields of political science research. And I will be following, or trying to follow, if they do have a Twitter, all of the researchers and professors that are a part of the articles that I go through on the show. So if you want to find some active researchers in political science, that is a great place to be. But let's go ahead and get into it. So today we continue our series on the six most impactful articles from the May 2022 APSR. And we conclude our series today with our sixth article, the one with by far the highest impact score. I think it was, we're lingering around the, lingering around the 100s, went up to 132, jumped to 226 on the last one, and then now this one had something like 448 impact score. So again, that's kind of an arbitrary number, but just to give some reference of this one has been, has caught the most attention of media, of Twitter, um, and even of citations overall. So, very excited to get into it. This one is titled, This One's for the Boys, How Gendered Political Socialization Limits Girls' Political Ambition and Interest. Comes to us from five, artic- five authors that are at four different universities. First is Angela L. Boss, or Bose at College of Worcester in the U.S. Worcester, or sorry, Boss is a professor of political science and has interest in media and politics, elections, and political psychology. She's also interested in um, effective pedagogy in political science, which is really important. I come from a state school where pedagogy is really the main focus, where teachers don't do tons of research, but it's not an R1 research school, so professor's main job is just to be really good teachers. So I was grateful for that education. So. Um, Good for both to be caring about that within political science. Um, And this research does just going on this university or this college to be very correct. This college um, really prides itself on undergraduate research. So it makes sense that as a professor, Professor Bose is interested in good teaching and assisting undergrads in research, which is not done at a high level at a lot of colleges and universities. Second is Jill S. Greenlee at Brandeis University. I've never said that. I don't know if it's Brandee, but it looks like to me as, a, as an American English speaker, Brandeis. Um, she's an associate professor of politics and focuses on gender and politics, racial attitudes, and political socialization. She also has ties to gender and sexuality studies at this university and is currently focusing her research projects around the gendered socialization of politics. Third is Miria R. Holman at Tulane University. She's an associate professor of political science and focuses on women in politics, environmental politics, and local politics. She has wide-ranging research interests that caught my attention seemed really interesting i'd like to take a closer look at later to name a few of her current research endeavors um, she's looking at women mayors and women sheriffs and just women in political positions overall children's political attitudes as well as partisan politics around the me too movement 
Next, fourth is Zoe M. Oxley at Union College. Oxley is a professor of political science and focuses too on gender and politics and political psychology. She writes frequently for the popular press and has many articles um, and interviews about some of her current research. And last but not least, J. Celeste Lay, who is a professor of political science at Tulane as well. She's written a book titled Midwestern Mosaic, which explores immigration and political socialization in the American Midwest. She's interested in children's political attitudes as well as political socialization. And that's a common theme with most of these authors is that, as you'll come to find out very thoroughly, is that we're not just dealing with women in politics. We're not just dealing with female interest and ambition in politics. We're specifically dealing with girls' interest and ambition in politics. So children, um, children's political views, socialization. So all of those are focusing on the early, the very early ages and political formation of of girls in particular. So we're not just women in politics, but children in politics um, and female children. So it'd be girls in politics. Anyways, bit longer than a usual introduction, especially the last two articles, I think I've just had one author each, but I really want to make sure to cover everyone and do justice to the work that it took to put together this paper. So I would just feel wrong to leave anyone out without a proper introduction. Of note as well, as I mentioned that this article has gotten a bit more press and more impact there has had more impact than some of the other ones we covered it's been featured in forbes and npr and a bunch of other outlets recently for this research um, so this group together has been featured in some of those different outlets so let's get into the article now this article theorizes and tests the theory of and this is a really important term gendered political socialization that is the theory that is the key term we'll talk about what those names mean we'll talk about the processes of it uh, but that is the main phrase that you will hear the theory again and again in this paper gendered political socialization so it examines the perceptions of children um, and gender in politics they find that children perceive politics to be male dominated and as a result girls grow older as, grows, as girls grow older, they show less interest and ambition toward politics. Authors begin with breaking that um, phrase down, gendered political socialization, and they're drawing on two different areas of study, and it's gender socialization, um, the socializing of gender, how people come to understand and act out gender norms, as well as political socialization, which similarly is how people learn to um, grow into and act out political norms, hold political views. And so this is a theory that um, in a sense unites the two, not um, entirely, it's not a full unification of the theories because as they say there, it's kind of two parallel running um, fields of research and so they're merely looking at some of the intersection points between gender socialization and political socialization political socialization hence the term gendered political socialization so gender socialization again may not touch on politics and political socialization might not focus on differences between boys and girls so this theory unifies them in bringing gender into political socialization and politics into gender socialization. 
And they find from a very young age that children are learning about politics. This, I think, is an unexplored area, but makes sense within the childhood development and socialization literature. Um, just even from my own experience, I just finished Daniel Goleman's Emotional Intelligence, and he goes into great depth about how early on children begin to learn about empathy, about emotions, about how to be social, about how to get along, how to talk about certain things, how to understand what's going on in their own mind, how to understand what's going in their body. And by taking cues, children who can't even talk are still internalizing um, what they're being shown and what they're seeing. And so it is, in one sense, unsurprising that children at this age are learning about politics um, and given gender socialization that the understanding of politics may be gendered, meaning that there is a difference between how girls are interpreting it and internalizing it and how boys are interpreting and internalizing it. Um, ultimately, they find that as girls age, they show less interest. The reason we'll be interested with the role of age in this paper a lot is that the idea is that as girls age, they're being more socialized. So as age is put on the timeline there, as girls age, they should be approaching more closely what the social norms are. And so you can see a decrease in something would mean, oh, they're being socialized to decrease, where they may start at this number, which is assumed to kind of be a, a natural number, a natural amount, but then socialization is taking them away from that in a certain maybe positive direction or maybe in a, in a negative direction. So as I get into this, um, or let me back up for a second. So the importance of this article seems to be relatively straightforward. Excuse me, the gaps in political representation should be examined in order to see why women are less interested in politics, hold, le hold fewer political positions, um, and which may be a contributing factor to, or probably is a contributing factor to gender inequality in the U.S. And even as I get into this, I can already hear kind of two voices in my head. The first voice says that we should not expect exactly equal representation in all areas of life uh, with all people. I think it's a very contemporary political um, social conception of the world that was foreign to those who came before us in assuming that all areas should have equal representation of all the different classes of people. Um, as if there were no cultural differences or no gender differences um, or, yeah, culture or gender differences that might drive people to, in a completely free society, do something different in mass than um, what another group might do. And so that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind is that we assume, given a... Um, representational disparity for there to be some wrong there to be some injustice present um, and you know maybe men and women just want to do different things maybe different cultural groups want to do different things um, and so as contemporary people we should consider this assumption we should not a priori assume that there will be equal representation in all areas of life by all classes of people and I think that that's a fair assumption to keep in mind and like I said there are two voices though so the second voice, however, is that, and the first voice is not the final voice. So the second voice um, kind of critiques the first one. I think the first one does make sense. Um, but people stop there and conclude, oh, okay. Um, they say just because 
a representational misrepresentation doesn't imply an injustice, then does that mean unequal representation therefore implies justice? And no, that that is an illogical conclusion to make. And so I think some people use that as a bludgeon to say, oh, well, person A will say, oh, we have um, we don't have equal representation here. There's a disparity in representation. And person B will say, well, you shouldn't expect that to be every single place in the world. Um, and then they'll just stop there. But given a long history of injustice, particularly along gender lines in this context, I think that it's fair to almost have the assumption because there has been so much for so long um, that to have that assumption that there's some injustice going on, even though I don't think that could be a perfect assumption. Um, but I think some people just stop at voice one and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Just because there's a difference in representation, um, there's no injustice there, which, as I mentioned earlier, is illogical and doesn't necessarily follow from um, the premise there. And so voice two says, you know, what we should really do is rigorously ask ourselves, okay, there's a gap in representation. Are there barriers to getting into this group? Does this group of people want to be here but can't be here? Has society treated them unequally that makes them not want to be here? And would it be beneficial for that group to be here? And I think for all these questions in this case of women in politics, that it would it would make sense that not all of these questions would point us to the conclusion that misrepresentation equals justice. Um, there have been barriers, there have been cultural norms, there have been injustices that have held women back from pursuing political leadership. And I do think that it would be beneficial to have more women at, this, at the political table, to have a seat at the political table. So we really... We have to wrestle with these two ideas. I think that it's important, I mentioned the first voice, that we can't just assume that there's some gap because that will lead us to conclude, oh, you know, a very high percentage of NFL athletes or NBA athletes are people of color, are specifically our black people. Therefore, there must be an injustice present. Well, again, that's where we turn to voice two and say, oh, okay, let's see, are there any systemic, systemic gaps keeping white people maybe from participating in this sport? Uh, doesn't seem so. Okay, that misrepresentation is okay. So I think these two voices, I think I understand voice two as, a, as just an outgrowth of all the injustice that has happened as a natural reaction, um, and even just trying to find what number works. Oliver O'Donovan has a good piece on this in one of his books about it's not... We can't just find a mathematical quantity to equal representation, but each case needs to be examined really closely. And so while I under, understand it to be a bit of shorthand to say, oh, there's a um, disproportional gap, there must be something wrong going on. I think that's a very understandable shorthand. Um, it doesn't necessarily work when we have a lot of time to think about certain things and to really investigate what exactly is going on there. So anyways, just to outline some of those as thoughts going in about people who may say, oh, you know, misrepresentation, whatever. People are so obsessed with that. That doesn't imply justice, you know. But misrepresentation does not <laughs> necessarily imply justice either. So we need to look really, really closely at this. And as I mentioned in this case, I think we're very justified in saying, okay, we need to examine these barriers a lot more closely. We need to take a look to see how can we how are why are women less represented in politics and losing interest as they get older so let's go to the article enough of me talking this article relies on previous research on gender socialization that claims children are gender 
genderly socialized from a young age and internalized norms that they observe between males and females, what jobs are considered male and what jobs are considered female, what types of qualities are male and female, assertiveness and competition being male stereotypically, and caring and nurturing stereotypically being a female trait. So they conclude from this, um, remember again we're talking about gendered, political socialization that comes from gender socialization and political socialization. So hypotheses one and two come from gender socialization. Hypothesis one is that even at a young age, children will show gendered preferences in jobs. We'll get into that later. And hypothesis two from gender socialization is that as age increases, so will the solidity of these these preferences. Men and women or boys and girls will only diverge in what their preferences are. Um, political socialization, the other realm of research that this research is borrowing from, has found that at early ages, children learn the norms of politics and governance as they age. Um, they have, as they age, they have more complex beliefs and engage in more political thinking. Um, as they have conversation with parents, they watch campaign ads on TV, they take civics courses in middle school and high school. So hypothesis three um, is that older children will be more interested in politics and more ambition in politics as they age. So as they're, or sorry, I want to be clear about this. Okay, yes. So they test this hypothesis by, we'll talk about it in a second, but they have a drawing activity where they asked students to DAPL, draw a political leader, and so the way that they test this hypothesis of political socialization is that they think as children grow older, their pictures that they draw will be more politically informed. And we'll get into how they define that in a second. But that's just the hypothesis coming from political socialization. Then they come to the unison between the theories. As I said, it's two parallel running fields that they describe that has some intersection. Now, obviously, by definition, parallel lines do not intersect, but it's more messy than that. The fields of, of scholarship are not as straight as, you know, lines you learn in ninth grade geometry being parallel. So they're conceptually parallel, but there are intersections. Anyways, um, they figured that gender will play prominently in the social, the political socialization of children. So they build on previous research, a lot of the, um, even some of the methods and the interventions that they argue for in the end come from research that's already been pioneered in the STEM fields, that there's been a lot of campaigns to try to get more women into STEM. Um, they found that from a very young age that girls are less likely to be interested in STEM. Um, and similar to the draw a political leader activity, there was a draw a scientist activity and boys and girls were much more likely to draw men than women when asked to draw a scientist. And I saw this a lot at Cal Poly Pomona, huge engineering school, big STEM school overall. Um, we had lots and lots of tours of just young girl groups, maybe from, I think there were a lot of even elementary school um, students coming through the campus. There was a Feminears program. There were a lot of conferences, you know, that I would 
we, my friends, we would get some free food afterwards, but I remember they would be centered on young girls coming to compete in engineering contests. And so I was able to see a lot of these efforts firsthand that have been pioneered for a bunch of years regarding research around why are not, why aren't more girls going into and choosing STEM as a career field. The authors argue, and this part is maybe some driving mechanisms as to why girls would have a different political socialization is somewhat dependent on the stereotypes and qualities that are masculine and feminine as they grow up. And so they point out that a lot of the political activities that children are exposed to at an early age are masculine in a sense. Um, they're competitive, they're fierce. Um, so like mock trials at school, elections, electoral competition, debating, Things like that, they argue, would be less interesting for a girl, but they argue that if politics was given a more communal focus rather than focusing on a debate, if schools focused on compromising events as if you were, you know, this school district and you were this group of parents, how could you guys come to a compromise rather than debate something? So they kind of put competition fierce competition at courage boldness as male masculine traits and they put things like communal activities collective goals as feminine traits and say that because politics isn't portrayed in these communal ways it can it's portrayed as individuals who are ambitious and are willing to fight against other individuals um, it turns off girls from politics so that's that's just part of their argument that they put into it as to maybe why we're seeing some differences in interest they outline the task that I mentioned earlier that they say is an innovative task, which is for this line of research, but again comes from the some of the STEM research is called Draw a Political Leader. And here they hypothesize two things. First, they hypothesize that boys and girls were more likely to draw a male than a female when asked to draw a political leader, but that girls will be more likely to draw a female than boys. And hypothesis number two is that as age increases, as socialization increases, as the norms become more enforced in, in the children, um, so will the probability of drawing a male. So they're hypothesizing that as we go along the time series from left to right, um, and again, it's not technically time series because it's not the same student in the six to 12 years, it's different students, but Anyways, as we go from left to right, from 6 to 12, we're going to see an increase in the percentage of people who draw males, saying that as these people are more and more socialized, they're seeing politics as a male-dominated sport. So those are the other two hypotheses. So we did 1, 2, 3, 4, and now we get to, or maybe 5, 2. Now hypothesis 6 is that political interest and ambition will be less likely for girls, and the gap will increase with age. There's been research on this area about girls being less interested in politics, but most of it are focused on adolescence and college age people. Little is known about the gendered political interests and ambitions of children. So that's what's really unique about this research is that we're getting at the political perceptions of children. And again, you may ask, how could you possibly do something like that? You know, children aren't political at all. And I think that in a sense, they're not political in some of the ways we think about them. They're not, you know, 
I'm they're probably not fierce Republicans or Democrats. They don't fully understand what it means to be conservative or liberal. Uh, maybe as they get closer, you know, the 10 and 12 range and children are super smart. I'll definitely give them that. Um, but they're not political in the sense that we think of as, oh, I know exactly who I'm voting for. I know who I want for state treasurer. I know what proposition I'm going to vote for. I know what different groups are voting for or um, promoting which proposition, which tells me that I should go with this or, oh, this political event happened. Um, this is actually symbolic of something larger that's going on. That type of political engagement, someone being political in that sense, is not what we're talking about with children. Um, but the methods that they use of getting children to just fill out very simple surveys with crayons, kind of funny, kind of cute to even <laughs> imagine kids, you know, filling out these um, surveys that are going to be used for high level research with different crayon colors, as well as the draw a political leader activity. And that, that's not something new. Drawings have been used in research, particularly of children because it is a normal way that they're used to expressing themselves. You know, a child's not going to write a treatise or give a super complex interview about their political views. Um, but just asking them, you know, to draw a political leader. Is it going to be a boy or a girl? We'll have to find out. Um, and so, again, the politicalness of children is not the main focus here. It's just how are they perceiving politics? How are they perceiving um, and thinking about it in terms of the gender of politics? So they go into some details about how they um, assemble their sample, which I think is helpful, particularly in this context of talking about children, a very vulnerable, vulnerable population as they highlight. They get active, not just passive consent from parents. They work closely with their different universities in using um, in acquiring human subjects test agreements. That doesn't sound exactly like the right phrase, but you know what I'm saying. So they just go into detail and reassuring us that, okay, these children who are both very resilient and also very fragile, um, just a vulnerable population overall, we're, we're going into really, um, we're being really careful about how we're going about this research because there's just you know long history of children being um, negatively affected long down the line because of research that some academics some smart people for some cause for whatever reason um, end up hurting children so they just go into detail about how they um, use best practices in this research they end up using a total of 18 schools four of them are private 14 are public they note it is not a nationally representative sample but it is a really good mix of geographical diversity of racial diversity they do it in four different areas of the u.s boston upstate new york new orleans and ohio to give a total of 1064 children ranging from grades one to six that number link later goes on up to 1600 if i'm not mistaken and so i'm a little bit unclear as to which number it is or maybe maybe i missed something i'm typing in my thing real quick to see if i yeah i'm not exactly sure what accounts for that difference in numbers but anyway we will continue grades one to six ages six to twelve the authors then in detail described the draw political leader task the exposure task and the political interest task, all of which borrow heavily from the research around student interest in science. And Fraser, 1978, is a big um, author in this area. 
They then use um, a gendered occupations task where they give the students 10 different occupations. And they say, which one do you want to do when you grow up? Choose as many as you want. And so the gendered socialization theory will say that, oh, boys will tend to choose more masculine jobs and women, girls will tend to choose more feminine jobs. So here are some of the results. Let's get in the results. So they take each process separately. So I'm going to try to outline them in detail as understandably as I can, because there's a lot of different pieces to this research as a whole. So first is gender socialization. And to assess this, they look at the um, occupation question. So they list 10 jobs and they have four ones that they consider to be gendered. As male gender jobs, they use business person and police chief. And as female jobs, they use um, teacher and doctor. So they're seeing are girls, you know, choosing these female jobs in higher numbers than boys, and are boys choosing these male jobs in higher numbers than are girls. So they use a logistic model with the selection of one of these careers as the dependent variable. They control for age, sex, race, and they cluster the errors at the errors at the classroom level. This is something you use in a lot of education research in multi-level models is that you try to account for different classroom, just classroom differences, and so you class you cluster the ester, sorry, you cluster the errors at the classroom level. Then they look at the post hoc predicted probabilities. I think these can also be called marginal means. At least that's the package I've used in R E M mean to do post hoc testing. And the bar charts are a bit confusing because I know that post hoc related um, probabilities and numbers their confidence intervals are a bit unusual and so you can't just look at any overlap and say oh those are different or those aren't technically different so visually it's a little bit hard to tell whether the responses are statistically significantly different um, but they help in some of the interpretation so in this gender socialization occupational activity they find that girls are more likely to select being a doctor and a teacher are, and boys are more likely to choose a police chief. But there's no difference between boys and girls selecting a business person. So for three of the four gender jobs, they find what they expect to find with the, as I mentioned earlier, the reason I mentioned the confidence intervals is that the numbers look like they could be within the confidence intervals, which would mean that um, they're statistically significantly not, they're not statistically significantly different, um, but uh, again, because some of the post-hoc testing confidence intervals are odd, um, I'll just take their the words that they use. So they say that there are differences between boys and girls answering for police chief, teacher, and doctor, but not for business person. And those differences fall in the order or fall in the preferences that they expect given the gender socialization. In the next figure, they take age into account. Again, age is important here because the, the idea is that as age increases, so does socialization. And with socialization, so does um, acting according to norms, believing social norms. Um, and remember, they argue that within socialization, opinions will be more solidified with age. And so the differences should only increase with age. Differences between occupational preferences between boys and girls 
Um, and they, exp they, they find the expected negative trajectory between the ages of 6 and 12 for girls in business and in police, but they're much less than the increase in female interest in doctoring and teaching. So what I'm trying to explain here um, that you can see by looking at um, this one is figure two is that going from age six to 12, we see that girls decrease in their interest of business and they slightly decrease in their interest of policing. Um, but we find that they increase in their interest in being a doctor and they kind of increase in their interest in being a teacher. So the idea is that they're moving a, more along typical socialization, gender socialization lines, less likely to choose masculine jobs, more likely to choose feminine jobs. The boys, on the other hand, are not as clear. The number is almost exactly the same for boys and doctor, meaning that they're not becoming more masculine by moving away from being a doctor. Um, the doctor one is kind of a funny one. I think they, they make a note that they use doctor, maybe like doctor slash nurse. That seems to be more gender to me, but they argue between the ages around the age of six to 12, the doctor that they will more likely encounter is a female, which my, you know, my, my experience was not maybe representative, but I had a boy doctor, a male doctor between that time. And so this doctor one, I understand is very a nurturing, caring job, but I, yeah. Anyways, about the doctor one that you see girls really increase, but boys stay about stable. As being a teacher, you see boys increase a little bit. So boys are not moving away from feminine jobs. Uh, if anything, they're moving slightly more towards them. You do see boys having an increased interest in business by a little bit. I think it's something like from 8 to 20% of boys. Um, but you see boys moving away from being a police chief. So the finding here is that the boys are a little bit more unstable in their preferences. They're not as they're not very predictable according to some of the theories um, but the girls are much more predictable much more reliable their socialization seems to be more stronger and the divergence um, from or the movement away from the male stereotype jobs and toward the female stereotype jobs um, just making sure i'm not missing anything here yes yeah, so they separately plot for, so the next article, or the next test that they go into, is the test of political socialization. So we just did gender socialization. Now we're looking at political socialization. And within the draw political leader activity, they theorize that as children get older, they will draw more complex political drawings. And what do I mean by this? What do they mean by this? They mean that as children get older, they will more specifically draw someone that they can name as a political leader. Maybe it's George Washington. Maybe it's Abraham Lincoln. Uh, maybe it's just a political figure like MLK or something like that. But it'll be someone with a name. So the idea is that as children get older and they have, they're more politically socialized, they'll be more aware of political leaders and their drawings will reflect that. 
Second, as they get older, their drawings will also include a political activity. Maybe someone is voting, maybe someone is speaking at a rally, maybe someone is at an election, maybe someone is at the Oval Office. And so they argue that as children get older and as they're more politically socialized, they will draw more complex or more detailed, specific drawings of political leaders reflected by both indicators of is this person able to be named by them and is there a political activity going on in this picture. So they plot these two lines, again, from left to right, from age 6 to 12, and the political leader being able to be named rises pretty dramatically. It's about 20, about 30%, 27% as six-year-olds are able to draw a political leader that they can name, and the number goes all the way up. It almost doubles to 50% by the time they turn age 12 in being able to name it as a political leader. So you see a dramatic increase, almost a doubling in political socialization of students becoming more able to identify and name political figures. And for the political activity, you don't see as steep an increase because the number is already 80, what is it? Something like 81%, 86% of children are drawing political leaders doing some sort of political activity. And by age 12, that moves up to 95%. So by age 12, almost everyone is drawing the political leader doing a political activity. And visually, you don't see as dramatic an increase. The number is not as big, um, but that's because 86% is already pretty high. So they do find that political socialization is at work, that as children grow older, they're able to be more specific in their naming of political figures, political leaders, as well as what political activities are. So those had to do with gender socialization, the occupational one, and political socialization, the draw political figure, as separate processes, finding some evidence for them. Again, the boys within gender was not very clear cut, but the girls were. So now we turn to gendered political socialization, the main theory and focus of this paper. So of the 1,600 students in the study, and that's why I'm wondering if maybe I misread something, but here it says 16, you know, it's the same number as 1,064, 1,604. I'm not sure which one is right. I don't have time to look back. But of the 1,600 students in the study, 66% of them drew men when asked to draw a political leader, but only 13% drew a woman. So overwhelmingly, people are drawing male figures. Not all drew anything at all. Not all drew something with a gender. So that's why the number doesn't add up to 100%. To be specific, 8% drew a political leader with no sex and 12% did not draw anything at all or wasn't a political leader. Maybe it was an elephant or their favorite animal or a best friend or something like that. Within that 66%, um, or not within that, but going further within the numbers here, 71% of boys drew men, while 61% of girls drew men. But consistent with the hypothesis, girls were more likely than boys to draw female political leaders. So what is the significance of that? The idea is that just like the scientist one, where most people are drawing a scientist, most boys and girls are drawing men by a large margin. The next biggest group are people who are drawing um, women at 13% and 12% draw nothing. So people are, uh, 
boys and girls are as likely to draw nothing as they are to draw a woman as a political leader. One way to look at that number there. And this kind of reminds me of the, I remember I was told in sixth grade, the riddle about, oh, a, a boy was in a car crash with his family, or how does it go? Something like, a boy was in a car crash, and yes, okay, that actually took me a second to step away and remember it, because it had been so long, but I, I remember in sixth grade, our teacher gave us the riddle. A man and his son are in a terrible car crash and are rushed to the hospital in critical condition. The doctor looks at the boy and says, I cannot operate because this boy is my son. How could this be? And as it seems so obvious now, oh, the doctor, his mom was the doctor, right? But as a sixth grader, it just seems so, what could it be? Maybe his dad somehow quickly recovered or maybe... The first guy wasn't his dad, and there's a lie in the riddle. Um, but it was just so hard to fathom. Wait, <laughs> it could be his mom was a doctor. And so the idea is similar. You know, you could say, oh, kids are going to be kids and da-da-da-da-da. But I think there there's really something there that you would not think of the, the mom being the doctor. And similarly, you wouldn't think of a political leader being a woman based on the socialization here. So... Then we turn to age as a factor in socializing politically. Interestingly, they find that there's a very small difference in the boys, meaning boys are drawing political leaders as men between the ages of 6 and 12. Um, it actually goes down from 75% to 71%. I believe they say those numbers are statistically significant, so there is a slight decrease. But for girls, the number increases a lot more. So it goes from 47% of girls are drawing men at age 6 to 75% by age 12. So they find, again, they find gendered political socialization and the largest effect being seen in how girls, how girls are um, drawing political leaders as men. And again, this is kind of the story of the research that will come up again and again, is that girls were seeing a clear... Um, distinction as they're getting older but within boys there's actually no clear pattern it's staying at relatively the number that it's starting at so we'll come to talk about some of maybe the why of that later but that's that's important and consistently shown throughout this research is is large differences between girls going from age 6 to 12. So what they do next for another level of analysis look at the words that students use to describe the person that they drew Interestingly and almost surprisingly, children used feminine traits to describe the person, the political leader they drew, more often than masculine words. The most common depiction was a male political leader who was described with feminine traits. If you look at the prompting question, they make kind of an asterisk here. If you look at the prompting question, it did include the word helping, that draw a politician. Politicians help people, I think, is something along the lines of the question it's included in the article. So they argue that this may have primed students to use more feminine traits, but nevertheless, there are significant differences. 31% of boys and 41% of girls are using feminine traits to describe their pictures, while 23% of boys and 27% of girls are using masculine traits. So that, to me, was a bit of a surprise. I don't know if it's if the priming accounts for that, I don't know if there's something more um, feminine in the younger socialization of children, that those are the words that come more easily to mind, or maybe they are, you know, 
associating more feminine traits, even though there are male political leaders. So interesting, not entirely sure what's going on there. Again, now looking at age in this activity, they find that there's no significant change in how boys are using feminine words to describe masculine paintings. But over time, girls depict less feminine pictures with feminine traits. So they're drawing men at higher rates and they're describing their paintings as feminine at lower rates as they get older. Again, here's the storyline that boys are not changing very much. They're gonna go up and down a little bit in maybe surprising ways, but girls are changing a lot between the ages of six and 12 in political socialization. Political implying and showing gendered political socialization. Finally, in the results section, we turn to interest and ambition in politics. Students are asked on a scale of one to four how interested in politics they are and how much they desire it as a future career. And so let's run through some of the numbers. Boys on the scale of one to four averaged a rating of 2.62 about interest in politics and girls averaged a rating of 2.554. So these numbers are statistically significantly different, meaning if the null hypothesis that these numbers are essentially the same um, and it's just kind of random variation and it's just the numbers that are slightly different but they're actually the same, then you would reject that. Um, that's probably because we have so many students in this sample, over a thousand that were able to get really small standard errors here. And even though they are different, that is kind of a, um, I would be interested in doing some um, Cohen's H would be for proportion. So maybe Cohen's D would give us a better picture of how different these are, you know, because we do have they are different numbers, 2.62 and 2.554, um, but I'd be re really interested in how big of a difference that is in doing a mean comparison there between the two samples. Um, anyways, the mean level of interest in political careers for girls was 1.03, and for boys it was 1.32, so we see slightly larger numbers there. The authors then conclude that girls and boys are systematically different in their both ambition and interest in politics from a very early age, between the ages of six and 12. Interestingly, and I'm not sure how to understand this, they find that overall interest in politics and ambition in politics decreases as the children age for boys, both boys and girls between the ages of six. So at age six, you see this level of interest, yay high. And then by the time you get to 12, that interest is reduced. And so again, we can't interpret children as being political in the exact sense we do, you know. I wonder if it's an interest in, you know, knowing who the president is. And as children get older, they want to be baseball players more than they want to be presidents or they want to be lawyers more than they want to be presidents. Um, but yeah, I just I have a hard time imagining, you know, six-year-olds being more passionate about politics than 12-year-olds. Um, and so, yeah, that was just kind of an interesting finding for me that overall interest declines. I'd be really interested in seeing at what point maybe things turn around or at what point um, men become more interested because they talk about the long-term effects. There are more men, so there must be more men who are ambitious in politics. This brings me to it'd be interesting to look at even electoral numbers about we have numbers, obviously, of who is represented in politics, but who is even running for politics would be an interesting question. Doing some sort of... Um, investigation about that I think would be interesting. But yeah, this was kind of a curious thing that I am having a hard time conceptualizing and, and seeing how this would play out in the real world that political interest decreases between the ages of six to 12. That six-year-olds 
kids in kindergarten and first grade are more politically interested and ambitious than kids in sixth grade who are 12. So that's where they find, you know, um, but I'm just, just having a hard time envisioning that, um, what that exactly looks like. The discussion, they conclude that there is strong evidence for these social differences in adulthood being rooted in socialized, gendered, political socialization in youth, in childhood. And what gendered mean is that, and what gendered means here, I want to take a second to elaborate, is that it's essentially saying that split the genders apart. If something is gendered, it means that there's a difference between the groups. Again, to use the hypothesis um, language that the null hypothesis is that there is no difference between these two groups, yet if we find a difference, then then the, then there is gendered differences. And we do find that. We start with the hypothesis, oh, boys and girls will draw men at the same rate, boys and girls will draw men and women at the same rate, boys and girls will be interested in politics at the same rate. But because we're seeing differences in their responses, we're seeing that there's something different going on in the socializations of men and women. Um, and they make a note that this is not primarily a um, identity-oriented article and that more theorizing would need to go into, you know, the role of um, the interplay of sex and gender and maybe how sex biologically is driving some of these differences or how um, people who don't identify as cisgender are seeing differences in political socialization. And so um, those aren't those aren't mentioned too much in here, but again, that's kind of outside the scope. They're laying groundwork for gendered political socialization, so it doesn't surprise me that they're going into um, less common cases or more difficult things to theoretically work through and more of an introductory finding and an opening up of a new research area. The authors argue, um, in the end, they conclude with some interventions that may be um, helpful. And just before that, they go into maybe some of the drivers of the socialized differences. They cite, again, the current American political landscape that shows primarily men, high competition, putting down opponents, aggression, elections, hyper-masculine politics, and saying that as girls are interpreting that and it being different than their, what they're being socialized to be docile, to be caring, to be communal, um, they just lose interest and they're not ambitious or interested in politics. They end, as I said, with some interventions. They say that um, getting more girls into politics is kind of a cyclical thing that it could result from role model effects. There has been some research on the positive effect that role models have on individuals being able to see themselves in certain fields. They also suggest the potential of communicating politics in a way that's more about communal goals, about compromising, about collective issues. Um, as a way of kind of activating and maintaining girl interest in politics through middle school, high school, um, and even beyond that. And so that is how they mostly conclude with some potential mechanisms. Not very deep, not mechanism proper. You know, they're saying this could be a reason for driving this. Um, and here are some maybe ways that we can fix this. But the main, main findings of the article is that you do find gendered political socialization in the political socialization of boys and girls you're seeing differences between the genders that they admit they're not connecting the dots they don't have data from 6 to 60 they just have data 6 to 12 but their data seems good enough to suggest that there is a continuity between the age group that they study and the long-term gendered 
interest in politics. My conclusions, I'd be interested in other controlling factors that they allude to at one point. Um, and again, this isn't the main focus of their article, but the role that um, race and ethnicity play. They even point out that, oh, in the South, um, that had our highest proportion of black girls, we did find them to have the most political ambition. And so there are probably differences within different racial, ethnic, and cultural groups. That would be something I'd be, I'd be interested in seeing drawn out in a future study. I'd be interested in the way that parents' political views affect this, as well as even maybe religious views affecting the socialization. Um, again, this wasn't part of the study, but it should be examined to see how our um, children in certain homes may be being socialized differently. Maybe children in black homes are being politically socialized. Their gender political socialization, <laughs> their gendered political socialization looks one way. Asian homes, their gendered political socialization looks one way. And then maybe within that, there's even income differences. And within that, maybe there's even, um, I forgot the other thing I was going to say, something about identity, something about, anyways, yeah. <laughs> I, those would be something I'd be interested in. Or, yeah, difference between political, uh, difference between conservative, black, gendered political socialization and progressive, black, gendered political socialization. So going into some of those, you need big samples, obviously. Um, but those are something, you know, in the realm of research where you can dream. I'd be interested in looking at some of that. What else do I need to mention? Yeah, some of this, again, seems a tiny bit um, unsurprising. Just we're in my own season of life. I'm just learning so much about how early socialization happens, how early children are learning to empathize with others, how early they're learning norms about acceptable behavior, about how to deal with anger, about how to um, deal with their emotions. And so I think it's it's really crucial that we intervene in this age and that we, we look for ways, we look for potential situations to promote a more fair, a more representative, a more inclusive and equal democracy, as that's what a lot of studies are are interested in promoting. And so thank you so much to all the authors who put in the work to make this article what it was. It's caught a lot of attention, I think rightfully so, in some of its innovative ways at getting at the gendered political socialization and even its assertion of what is gendered political socialization. Thank you so much for watching to this episode. Today we wrap up our series in the six most impactful articles from the May 2022 APSR. Can't believe it's already come, six episodes down, kind of crazy, and next week we begin a new, I'm still deciding on how many episodes it'll be, leaning towards five so we can get a little bit more variety, but probably a five episode series on political science relating to race issues. I'm really excited about this series because I think... Um, we went through six of the most impactful, really good introduction, really good what's going on in political science, what's popping, what's hot right now. Um, but I think race is something that's discussed a lot. It's obviously a very popular topic in the media right now and ha always has been among certain groups um, who actually knew they were part of a race. You know, it might be a newer conversation for some groups of people. Um, but again, one of the reasons I love academic research is that we're diving into long histories of research. We're getting peer reviews. We're getting really, really dense articulations of methods and of findings. And even the article that we just walked through, you know, there are some surprising findings that 
boys are less likely to draw men as a political leader as they get older. I think that was the task at hand. And so I think just kind of that intellectual honesty of showing, oh, not every single one of our tests align with what our hypotheses are. And so I'm really excited to go through that series as I think it'll bring a lot of depth of knowledge, a lot of interest in what has been being studied in terms of race and obviously it's not exhaustive there'll probably be multiple series of all the different topics that i want to go through uh, but just as an introduction to some of the things that are going on and have been going on historically in terms of the role of race and what's been studied in political science so again thank you so much for listening looking forward to seeing you next week as we begin our new series probably five episodes long on the study of race in political science. Thanks so much for listening and see you soon.